Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. I pray that you uh, bless the preaching of your word today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak into, uh, into our hearts, into our lives. I pray that we would grow in our knowledge of your son, Jesus, and that we would be transformed by this knowledge, by this in- intimate, deep knowledge. I pray, Lord, that you uh, fill me with your spirit to proclaim your word. And I pray that we would grow as your church, as your body, that we would grow into maturity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to start reading in, I I think I want to start reading in verse 1. We're only going to focus on on a few verses, but I want to start reading in in verse 1 for the sake of context. So Ephesians 4, verse 1. And can I ask you to stand for the reading of God's word? In Ephesians 4, verse 1, the word of God says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that, but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So just 
just to provide a little bit of context for this for this passage here, I, I want to remind us of a few truths that we have learned from the book of Ephesians. One of the things that we have learned is that God's mystery that he revealed to us is that his purpose is to unite all things in heaven and on earth to himself. And we also learned that God gave Jesus as the head over all things. Jesus is the head of the universe. He is the Lord of the cosmos. He is the Lord of the universe. And he gave him as the head of the church. And so God is uniting all things. He made his son Jesus the head over all things, but he is also the head of the church, which means that the church is God's instrument. The church is God's agent to accomplish this cosmic unity. Okay, I know that I'm speaking big words here, but I believe these are the these this is what the Bible is teaching. The Bible is teaching that God is uniting all things and he is doing it through, yes, of course, through the work of Jesus, but he is doing it through the church, which is the body of Jesus. Um, And I believe that ultimately, the ultimate goal for this universe is that the earth would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The ultimate goal for this universe is that it would all be united and reconciled to God. And just think about how amazing it is that we as the church, we get to be a part of God's plan of uniting and reconciling all things to himself. That gives you such a great view of the church because it means that the church is not just this social club or this thing that you do on Sundays or this, you know, random group of people that we all love Jesus, but, you know, that's that's kind of the, the only thing. It's our private type of religion or, or relationship with God. But when you have this kind of view, you realize that the church is so much more than that. You realize that the church is God's agent for bringing the knowledge of his glory to the world. That's why we're here. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just, you know, saved as many people as he could and just took us up to heaven and, and you know, ended the story? Well, he left us here so that we would go out and spread the knowledge of the glory of God. And so we saw a couple of weeks ago that this unity of all things, this unification of the cosmos, of the universe, of the world begins with the church. And that's why Paul is calling the church to work towards unity. This is why Paul in in chapter 4 verse Three, he says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How can the entire world be united if the church herself is divided, right? So the church has to be united. And, and I don't just mean the, the uh, you know, the local church. I mean, certainly we as a church, we, Kaleo, we have to be united with one another but we also have to be united with the greater church, with the church on the harbor, with all of God's people. Um, Because that's how the unification of of the universe will will happen when the church is united. And so we saw last week, we saw that in order to accomplish this, 
God gives us grace, right? It is impossible for us to do anything that God has called us to do apart from his grace, right? God called us to work towards the unity, but if, if we do not rely on his grace, if we are not empowered by his grace, then it is impossible for us to work towards this unity. Because grace, the grace of God, the, the unmerited gift of salvation, his unmerited grace is what empowers us and strengthens us to do what he has called us to do. Um, but here is a more practical way in which we have received grace. In verse uh, 11, this is one of the things that God gave to the church. He says in verse, uh, actually, I'm going to start in, <clears throat> in, in verse 10. He, it says, he who, <clears throat> he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So you see right there, right? Jesus is the one who is filling all things, who is uniting all things. Verse 11, and he gave... So this is, he gave a gift to the church. And this is the gift that he gave. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So he gave a group of people to the church. This is part of God's grace. God in his grace gave, gave these people to the church. Now, we will get to that. <clears throat> we will get to explaining who these people are in a moment. But first, I want us to think about what is the goal. And, and I think he describes the goal in the following verses, right? What is the purpose of, of this gift that he gave? Well, the purpose is, verse 12, that they would equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the goal is that the body of Christ would be edified, would be built up. So notice how he has been using the, the, um, the imagery of a building, right? When he talks about the church being a temple, he says that the temple is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Well, he's giving us a, a mental picture right there, the, the, the picture of an actual building, even though we, the church, are a spiritual building, but he is giving us that picture of an actual building, and he's saying, okay, well, the foundation of the building is the apostles and prophets. The cornerstone of this building, like the one thing that holds the entire building together is the Lord Jesus. Um, and so now following with that analogy, he's saying the goal, the purpose is that this temple continues to be built up until we have a finished building. Right? That is the goal. The goal of the church doesn't just exist for its own sake to exist in period. The church, the purpose of the church is to grow and to become a building or using, you know, using a, a Paul's language in Ephesians 2 verse 21. It's talking about Jesus, the cornerstone. It says, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The goal is that the church as a building grows to become a temple in which the Lord dwells. And this happens, this building up happens 
as we are built up toward three different things that he mentions in verse 13. One of them is unity. One of them is the knowledge of the Son of God. And one of them is maturity. Verse 13 says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the goal is that we would be built up toward unity, toward knowledge of the Son of God, and toward maturity. Now, before we, before we get into these, I think it's good for us to remember that he is talking about the end goal here. He is talking about the, the, the completed thing. And so in the end, when Christ returns, there will be perfect unity in the church. In the end, when Christ returns, there will be perfect knowledge, right? We will see Christ. We will see him as he is. We will know him as he is. Uh, and when Christ returns, we will finally reach that maturity, right? And so there is an aspect in which all of these things are future. And there is an aspect in which all of these things are unattainable until Jesus comes. But the fact that something cannot be 100% fully accomplished now doesn't mean that we are not supposed to work toward them. I was, uh, a while back, I read uh, John Owen's Mortification of Sin. If you've read that, if you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. Um, and he is talking about sanctification. He's talking about the process of becoming holier and holier. He's talking about the process of fighting our sin and, and killing our sin. That's what mortification of sin is. It's killing our sin. And one of the things that he said that stuck with me is that even though in this life, we will never be able to completely kill our sin, we should work as if we could 100% kill our sin. And so I would, you know, take that, that saying of John Owen, and I, would, and I would put it here and say, even though in this life we cannot achieve 100% full unity, 100% full maturity, 100% knowledge of Jesus, I think that we should work as hard as we can. We should work towards that as if we could reach those things 100%. So the first thing is unity. And you know, we, we've been talking about unity. We, we already mentioned it in, in the first half of the chapter. So I won't spend a lot of time here, but the church has to be united and it has to be united in, uh, it says until verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith. This kind of unity is not a, a fake unity or, or, or a unity that, that, uh, depends on, you know, some sort of affinity that we have that, you know, we like the same kind of food or we like the same political party or whatever. This type of unity is a, a supernatural unity that can only be attained by the work of God. It is a type of unity that only happens because we have been bought with the blood of Jesus and we belong to the same family. Think about it. many of us would not really have a lot in common 
many of us would not really be friends in, in, you know, apart from the fact that God bought us with his blood and made us a part of a family. And now we are more than friends. We are family. We are members of each other. We are members of the body of Christ. And therefore, we should strive to be united as members of the body of Christ. This means that there shouldn't, I mean, there are, in, 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 in every family, there are uh, struggles and there are uh, disagreements. But because we are united by the blood of Jesus, it means that we work to, uh, uh, we work to work out our differences in, in um become united even in spite of our disagreements. It means that if someone has wronged you, that you forgive them. It means that if, if there might be someone that you don't necessarily, that you are not necessarily inclined to like, it means that you welcome them, welcome them just as Christ has welcomed you. It means that we do not hold grudges against one another. It means that we forgive one another. It means that we are hospitable to one another, that we have our, our fellow Christians, our fellow brothers and sisters over to our house. I love how, um, I, th I think it's in Hebrews, or no, I think it's in First Peter. I love how Peter, Peter puts it. He says, the end of all things is at hand. He's talking, you know, he's saying, the, the end of this world is at hand. And you would imagine that, you know, he would say something extremely radical He says, therefore, show hospitality to one another because the end of all things is at hand. Because the world is ending, have people over to your house. That's, that's some radical thinking right there. Thank you. This is a unity that is um, around the common faith that we have. It's a unity that is based on the faith that we have in Jesus, the common faith that there is one God, that this God is in three persons, that Jesus became flesh, that he was fully uh, sinless, he was fully divine, he is fully divine, he is fully human. So again, this is not a unity that, that is just fictitious or, or a unity that, that you know, can be compromised. It is a unity that is based around the common faith that we have, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father and all, one spirit, one body. And so I know that there are many attempts uh, in trying to accomplish this unity. And while I really appreciate it and I want to be a part of these attempts, I do think that if our unity is not based on our common faith, it's not really going to work. It has to work if it's based around our common faith in the Lord Jesus. Sorry, I, I, I know I said that I was not going to spend that much time in this one, but I got excited. So moving on, uh, we are also built up toward the knowledge of Jesus. If the job of the church is to spread the knowledge of Jesus, If the job of the church is to spread the knowledge of the glory of God, the church has to be acquainted with Jesus. The church has to know 
Jesus intimately and deeply. If we do not know Christ, if we are not growing in our knowledge of Christ, then we will not be very good ambassadors of the knowledge of God. And so we have to be growing in our knowledge of Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded uh, of that passage in the Gospels where Jesus says in 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 the judgment, there will be people that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, in your name, we... We cast out spirits and we did all of these miraculous signs. And what will Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. And that is, that is incredibly scary. And that's why it is so important that we know Christ, that we know him personally, that we experience communion with him, that we experience him as our savior, as our leader. Right? He is the savior of the church. He is the redeemer of the church. He is the head of the church. A church that does not know Christ will not be able to spread the knowledge of Christ. I really love uh, Paul's approach here. If you go to Philippians chapter 3, he, in, in this passage that I'm going to read in Philippians 3, he is talking about all of these things that he has and that he used to have. These, you know, some of them, these really, really good things. And he says, I actually count all of these things as rubbish compared with knowing Christ. For Paul, his priority was knowing Christ. So in Ephesians, sorry, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says, Though I myself have a reason for confidence in the flesh also, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So, you know, he's talking about all of his his former credentials, you know, the things that made him a really great Pharisee, and, and, and look at what he says. But whatever gain I had, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is showing all of these things And he's saying, all of these things are nothing. I count them as loss. I count them as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ. Knowing Christ is the most important thing that we can do. Getting to know Christ should be our number one priority. If your priority is anything else other than knowing Christ, then you will fail at this other priority that you have, and you will fail at knowing Christ. 
I really love how uh, the verse that Sam, the verses that Sam opened with, and I was actually already thinking about them. So you can, you know, you can see the Holy Spirit working right there. But when Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, let him, uh, uh, let him deny himself, take, take up his cross every day and follow me. And then he says, if anyone wants to save his life, he will lose it. But if anyone loses his life for my sake, he will save it. So this, you know, heavenly logic is, is so weird because it's basically saying, if you devote yourself to all of these other things or to save your own life, you will actually lose all of these things and lose your life. But if you devote yourself to following me, to serving me, to surrendering to me, to getting to know me, then you will save your life. And this will affect the way that we view anything else. If we focus on politics, if we make politics our number one priority, we will fail at politics. We will make an idol out of politics and we will, you know, have a completely messed up view. But if we focus on knowing Christ, then we will have the right view on politics and we will actually be the best, uh, uh, I don't know, political thinker or I I don't want to say politician, but sure, if God calls you to be a politician, you will be the best politician out there if your focus is knowing Christ. If your focus is parenting and parenting alone over knowing Christ, you will fail at both parenting and knowing Christ. But if your sole priority is knowing Christ, then you will be the best parent out there. And you can say the same thing with anything else. I mean, you could say the same thing even with your own recreation, with your own hobbies, with whatever it is that you are devoting your mind and your attention right now, with whatever thing it is that you are getting to know deeply right now. If you make that thing your priority, you will fail at that thing and you will fail at knowing Christ. But if you make Christ your priority, it will give you the best perspective to engage in whatever other thing you are interested in. The third thing that we are being built up into is toward maturity. We are to be built up to maturity. This means that we are supposed to grow up. We are supposed, this is Paul pretty much saying, stop being a baby, right? It's, it's not that way. It's not very nice, but that's, that's basically what it says. We are supposed to grow up into adulthood. We are supposed to grow up into being, uh, um, I'm still in Philippians here, verse uh, chapter 4, Ephesians 4, verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. When we are built up as a church, the goal is that we do not remain spiritual babies. The goal is that we grow up, that we mature, that we are able. We are able, like it says in verse 14, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carrying, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The goal is that we grow up so that we are not tossed to and fro, so that we don't just believe anything that any person with any appearance of godliness tells us. And we say, oh, yeah, 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 that sounds right. But we are spiritual adults and we have discernment and we understand that the right teaching from the false teaching. The goal is that we stop being spiritual children. And ultimately, the, the, the measure, the, the standard is the stature of the fullness of Christ. The goal is that the church would grow up to become like Christ, to, to, to be at the measure, at the stature of Christ. He is the perfect man, right? He is the perfect example of what it means to be a man. And so each one of us individually, a, a, a human being, so each one of us individually, our goal is to grow up into the measurement, the measurement of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we can, become, we can learn how to be humans the way we were created to be humans. And this goes back into, into what I was saying earlier, the, the idea of, you know, if you, if you want to save your life, you lose it. But if you lose your life for Jesus, for Jesus' sake, you will save it. If you truly want to learn how to become a, a human the way you were intended to be, you have to grow up into the stature of Christ. You have to grow in your knowledge of Jesus. If you focus on something else, we will actually fail at being humans because Christ is the one who showed us how to live perfectly as a human. So that is the goal, right? That is the goal. We're, we're working backwards here. That is the goal. Now let's go to the means. How, how, are we, how are we to accomplish this building up? How are we to accomplish this uh, uh, unity, this knowledge of the Son of God, this uh, maturity? Well, God in his infinite grace gave gifts to the church. He gave spiritual gifts to every single person it, who, who is a, a member of his family. Uh, but this passage actually focuses on something more specific than, than that. This passage actually is saying that Jesus gifted the church with special people who are ministering to the church, who are serving the church, who are teaching the church. And so these are mentioned in, verses, in verse 11. It says, and he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is, uh, this is God's idea, right? If, if we had a passage where we were told how the church is to do ministry, well, then it means that it's not up for interpretation, right? It's not up for, oh, well, you know, we are the church and we're supposed to grow up and we're supposed to do ministry. Let us figure out how to do this on our own. No, we have a passage where it says, this is how the equipping for ministry happens. 
And so I think we need to listen to God when he's giving us instructions about how his church functions um, and, and, and listen to his teaching. This week, I, I think it was this week, right? The, the Pray for Your City event. Yeah, sorry, my, my weeks are sometimes a, a, a blur. But um, I was actually, I was encouraged to be there. I was really encouraged to see that many believers represented, that many Christians represented. I was encouraged by the, the concept, right? The idea of acknowledging our need of God and coming together as a church and asking God for his help. I mean, I, I, I thought that was really, really good. Um, one of the things I have noticed about the harbor, I'm not, I'm not a harborite. I, I, uh, is that how, you, how we refer to people from the harbor? Okay. All right. So I'm not a harborite. I've, I've been here for seven years. And one of the things that caught my attention when I first moved here is that the church seems united. It is, it, it is really interesting. I, I, I have been in other cities where I just never experienced that many people from different churches actually knowing each other and being united with each other. And so I think that that is really good. However, however, one of the things that I think that the church on the harbor can grow in is specifically this concept of God giving these offices, these people for the equipping of the, of the saints for ministry. What do I mean? Well, what I mean is this. I think that the unity of the church is extremely good. But one of the things that I have also noticed on, on the harbor, on the church of the harbor, is the reluctance of some believers, not everyone, but the reluctance of some believers to commit to a local church. I see the reluctance of many people on the harbor to put themselves under the authority of spiritual leadership. And I think that that it will stifle, if it's not corrected, I think that will stifle the unity of the church. Because think about this, God is calling us to be united. We understand that calling and we are working towards that unity. But if God is saying that one of the ways that he provided for that unity to happen is that he gave offices, he gave people to help the saints, to equip the saints, but the saints are not submitting themselves to the, uh, to, to the leadership of these people that God gave. If the saints are not uh, committing themselves to a local church, then I truly believe that the unity of, of the harbor will only be superficial because we are not doing it God's way, because we are not doing it the way that God prescribed. I, I notice in the harbor that there's a big reluctance to committing to, to a church. Or there, I do see a lot of church hopping on the harbor. Um, I see a lot of Lone Ranger Christians on the harbor. I see a lot of believers who have already decided, you know what, I, I've tried many of the churches and I just don't feel like any of them is any good. And so I'm just going to start doing my own thing or yes, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church. I have noticed a lot of that on the harbor. So on the one hand, the unity of the harbor is, is encouraging. It's something good that we should absolutely pursue, but I think that we should do it in the way that God has prescribed. So 
if we do not grow in this unity in the way that God has prescribed, if we do not grow up into maturity, then we will be the children described in verse 14 that will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And let me tell you something. While the harbor is strong or stronger than maybe other areas in terms of unity, the harbor is not very strong in terms of doctrine. I do believe that the harbor is very vulnerable. The church on the harbor is vulnerable to being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And again, I believe that this happens because many are not willing to follow God's pattern. So after that, uh, after that exhortation, let's talk about these roles, these gifts or, or the gift that God gave to the church and these people. So the offices listed here, the gifts listed here are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. So for the apostles, uh, first of all, I, I just want to say this is a passage that I've been wrestling with, not just this week. It's a passage that has been on my mind for, for a very long time. This is a passage that almost, I don't know, almost every four months, I'll send a message to Nathan and be like, hey, so what's your, what's your, uh, what's your perspective on Ephesians 4.11 these days? Because uh, it, is, it is an interesting and complicated passage. And in fact, just, you know, I, uh, someone came to me earlier uh, uh, before the service and they asked me, how are you feeling about this? And I, and I was telling them, you know what? I'm actually feeling overwhelmed about, about this particular passage because I think it's a difficult passage. But I'm going to do my best. But the disclaimer is um, there are things in this, in this one verse that I'm not 100% sure or things where I have not fully made up my mind in terms of how I understand them. But anyway, sorry, that was a lot of preamble. Let's go into it. Apostles. I believe that the apostles were the, the, the 12 and Paul. These were the men that Jesus show, revealed himself to them and that Jesus commissioned them to go uh, uh, tell the good news of, of who Jesus is, right? These are the 12 disciples and Paul. These are people that saw the resurrected Jesus these are people that received a direct commission from Jesus, right? I don't think that this is talking about other kinds of apostles, right? The word apostle means sent one. An apostle is someone who is sent. That's where we get our, our, our word for, uh, for the postal service, apostle, right? It's someone who has been sent. And I believe that when he is talking about apostles in most of the instances that Paul mentions the word apostles, he's talking about the 12. So he is saying, God gifted the church with the apostles, with the ones that were commissioned directly from Christ to go and make disciples. Now, when he talks about the prophets, this is, pro this is actually the one that I struggle the most with because on the one hand, uh, I believe that that, there is a gift of prophecy, and I believe that this gift still continues today. 
uh, at the same time, I also I acknowledge that there are many godly brothers and sisters who believe that this gift has already ceased, has that this gift is no longer necessary because it was a foundational gift, and and now that the church has been, now that the foundation has been laid, now that we have the the word of God with us, we no longer need the gift of prophecy. Now, I acknowledge that that it is a very complicated topic and we do not have time to go in depth here. Uh, one thing that I do see in favor of that view of, of the gift already being uh, uh, fulfilled and, and having already ceased is that in the other two instances in Ephesians where Paul talks about apostles, he also mentions prophets and he says that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and then in, in chapter 3 verse 5 he's talking about this mystery and he says it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the spirit so it does seem in this case that he is talking about either all of the prophets which i don't necessarily believe he's talking about all of the new testament prophets but he is talking about a group that was foundational to the establishing of the church so my view as of right now, ask me again tomorrow, my view as of right now is that here he is talking about not all sorts of prophets, but a specific group of prophets that, were, that worked alongside with the apostles to establish the foundation of the church, right? When the apostles were around, they did not have the New Testament written. People relied on the Old Testament. People relied on the teaching of the apostles. And I believe people relied on the revelation that God gave to the prophets. God spoke to the prophets and communicated the word of God to them. But remember, when we studied uh, uh, the spiritual gifts, especially in 1 Corinthians 14, we saw that the prophets were in submission to the apostles. In other words, a prophet, any prophet could not give any revelation from God if it was not in accordance with the teaching of the apostles. So we're going to move on from this. I don't want to lose you, or, or maybe it's too late. Maybe I already lost you, but we're moving on from there. I believe that apostles and prophets are foundational, but now these last Three, I do believe that he is talking about something that, that we have today, something that, that continues. He says he gave the evangelists. Evangelists are people who have the gift of evangelism. And this gift is a gift to go and preach the good news of the gospel. Now, I think that Kaleo, I want to say this carefully, I think that Kaleo could and would definitely benefit from more people with the gift of evangelism. I actually think we had, I'm thinking of a very specific person, we had one or uh, one person with the gift of evangelism and our church was bringing unbelievers our church was growing not with just transfer growth but with 
unbelievers that were coming to the church. Unfortunately, that person left our church, and I feel like Kaleo could really use the gift of evangelism. Not to say that that we are not called to preach the gospel. All of us are called to preach the gospel. Not to say that we don't have people with the gift of evangelism now, but I do think that we need to pray. We need to ask God to send workers to the harvest because we could really use evangelists. We could really use people that are bold and go out and preach the gospel and bring people to Christ. We need evangelists. Then he talks about shepherds. Now, here's a, something something interesting. If you noticed, uh, the last three, include, in, uh, along with shepherds, they all have an article, right? It says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, right? It doesn't say and the teachers. So many people have argued that that shepherds and teachers is actually the same. He's talking about the same office. He's talking about uh, uh, about you know one person with those two gifts. I mean, I sure I think that sometimes those gifts go together, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not opposed to having people with only the gift of shepherding and people with only the gift of teaching. The point is that we need both. The church needs. Shepherds, the church needs people that go and care for others, that 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 feed others, that take care of others people's needs. And the church needs teachers, right? How is the church going to mature? How is the church going to grow up and not be tossed to and fro from by every wind of doctrine if we don't have teachers who are teaching us doctrine, who are who are teaching us the word of God? And so we need these gifts. This is how the, the church is built up. The church is built up when, by the grace of God, these gifts, these people are serving the church with their gifts. Now, this doesn't mean that a church only consists of evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Right? A church uh, consists of many members. And this doesn't mean that the teachers, the shepherds, the, sorry, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers are the ones who do the ministry or the ones who do the ministry alone. Because notice what their job is. If you go to verse 12, this is why Jesus gave these gifts to the church he, or, or these people to the church. He says, he gave them to equip the saints, who are the saints, the saints is the whole church, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So who is called to do the ministry here? These three offices, period? No, the whole church is called to do ministry. The job of these ministers is to equip the church so that the church does the ministry. I was talking to a pastor recently, and he told me that a few people in his church are um, not so happy because he is having uh, an intern preach sometimes. 
And in one of the meetings that they had, one of the, one of the members told him, we, we hired you to, we hired you to preach, not him. And he told him, no, 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 you did not hire me to preach. You hired me to equip you for ministry. And that's part of the equipping for ministry. He is training another person to be able to preach. So I think we need to have that very, very clear. It is not the job of, of the elders or the evangelists or the preachers to do the ministry. It is their job to equip the saints for the ministry. The whole body is supposed to do the ministry. We are all supposed to do the ministry together. We are all supposed to build up the body of Christ together. And God in his grace did not leave us to do this alone. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. He gifted the church with these offices so that we could effectively do the ministry that we are called to. So a couple of, a couple of uh, uh, implications here. One of them I, I kind of already mentioned, but it's the idea that we need to ask God to send more workers to the harvest. We need to pray for God to send more shepherds, more teachers, more evangelists. I want to be honest with you. I think we need them. I want to be honest with you. I, 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 I think I have, you might say, you're a little crazy. I think I have the gift of teaching. I'm not so sure about the gift of shepherding. And I think that we need that in our church. We need teachers. We need shepherds. We need evangelists. Depending on your view, we need prophets. We, you know, depending, again, if you see them as foundational or not. But we need God's grace to Kaleo. And the best thing we can do to receive God's grace is to pray for his grace, to ask for his grace. But here's something interesting. When, when Jesus tells the disciples to pray for God to send workers to the harvest, have you noticed what is the answer to that prayer? Immediately after he asks them to pray for the Lord to send workers to the harvest, he sends them. He sends the apostles and he sends them to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. So this is actually a dangerous prayer because if you pray and ask for God to send workers to the harvest, you may be the answer to that prayer. And so you better be, you better be ready to respond to his calling. Another passage that came, to my, that came to mind when I was studying for this was the, the words of this, the, the, the writer of Hebrews. And literally all I can think of is the phrase where he tells people, many of you should be teachers by now. But instead, I, you, know, you still have to receive milk like babies. I think it's the same sentiment here that we do not remain babies forever, but that we grow up. And so maybe God is speaking to some of you and saying, many of you should be teachers by now. Many of you should be evangelists by now. Many of you should be shepherds by now. So let us pray for God to send workers to the harvest and let us be ready to take on that call. And ultimately the goal or, or you know, 
the goal that we're talking about here, the goal is uh, uh, that the saints would do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. And so we're going to put a dot, dot, dot there because we're going to continue that next week. But I want to close with these words. If God will saturate the world with the knowledge of his son, Jesus, through his church, we, the church, we need to grow intimately in the knowledge of the son of God. We need to count him as the most important thing to be pursued, to be strengthened in his grace, to live by his love, to live as people who belong to him. He is the ultimate apostle. What do I mean by this? Well, apostle means sent one. Jesus is the ultimate sent one. When he was sent by the Father to come to this world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the ultimate prophet because he speaks the words of God. He speaks on behalf of God. He communicates to us the words of God. He is the ultimate evangelist, right? Because he came into this world proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. He is the ultimate shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He is the one who cares for us. He is the one who feeds us. Jesus is the ultimate teacher. He teaches us how to grow into maturity. He teaches us how to be human. And he teaches us how to continue to spread the knowledge of him into this world. And you know, one of the gifts that God gave to the church is the gift of service, right? That word ministry, when it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry, the word ministry is service. And so he's saying to equip the saints for the work of service. And when we think about it, Jesus is the ultimate servant. He became flesh. He came to this world. He became a servant and he gave his life us. He became a servant to forgive our sins and to bring us to the Father and to make us members of his new people, members of his body, so that the entire world, the cosmos, would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Let's pray. God, please work in our hearts. Please uh, convict us. Please use the words of the words that you have inspired in the Bible. Please use them to transform our hearts. God, we pray that you send more workers to the harvest. We pray that you grant us to grow into maturity in knowledge of you in deep intimate knowledge of you, God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your attitude of a servant. We thank you for coming down, living a perfect life, and dying on the cross to save us. 
We want to know you more. We want to know you better. We want to know you perfectly. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are going to spend the next few minutes thinking about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Let us think about his body, not just his physical body, but how we, the church, we are the body of Jesus. Let us discern that. Let us think about that. And let us think about his sacrifice for us. One of the ways that we can get to know him better is as we, as, as we celebrate communion and we remember his death. That's why we do it every week, so that we get to know him more and more, and we proclaim his death until he returns. So if you are a member of the body of Christ, if you belong to his church, you are welcome to come and grab up the elements during the next song. And at the end of the song, we will uh, partake of the elements together.